Welcome to the Hillside Community Church Podcast. Wherever you're at in your faith, we hope this episode encourages you. If you enjoy the listen, let your friends know, and we'll catch you next time. Well, good morning, Hillsides. Glad to have you in on this Lord's Day and in these very wild times. I don't have to tell you that I'm not a medical expert, uh, and also I'm no prophet, So we won't be doing any predicting. We do have the scriptures that can guide us. Uh, This is not an easy thing, but I think we're doing the smart thing. And so today we ought to just ponder a few things and be challenged uh, for the days ahead. We're very fortunate to have just finished uh, an extensive look at the book of Hebrews. Actually, the end of Hebrews in a series called Life in the Big City. Uh, no matter what I do, I can't seem to get out of that series. Uh, but perhaps it was the best possible preparation for the circumstances that we find ourselves in today because we looked at two things. How does faith persevere in difficult times? And what does community look like in difficult times? And right now, these are the critical questions that face us. And Hebrews made it clear. Here we have no lasting city. There's nothing sure, nothing permanent, nothing here made of the stuff that can bring or provide ultimate security and fulfillment. There's no certainty, and there's far less control than we ever imagined. And right now, the whole world is facing this reality. And we are all taking hits and losses, vocationally, relationally, socially, financially and physically. Plans have been delayed, if not demolished. The future's unknown, and for some, it's bleak. Even hopes have been dashed. It's very easy right now to be angry, fearful, and even immoral. Remember Esau in Hebrews chapter 12, sold his birthright for a meal. And for us, that might be a roll of toilet paper we'll be willing to uh, throwing it. Last night we had some guests over to our home and as one of the little gifts they brought was a roll of toilet paper. I actually cried. It was that special. But the writer of Hebrews would say to us, get a grip. Uh, this cannot, it, it is not and it cannot be your ultimate home, even if you want it to be. And I think we're being schooled in that right now. It's not easy to believe when things are going great. It's when things happen like what's happening now that you realize how true the scriptures are. That we're aliens here. We're made for another world. And so because of that, there there can be joy, peace, and godliness uh, at a time like this. And I would say to you that the thought that's been in my head has been Something like this. This is a time to learn how to let faith speak into your fear. Um, Let's be honest. It's okay to have a freak out moment. I had my freak out moment. I'm a six on the Enneagram. I had a freak out moment. Uh, You say, what's a freak out moment look like? Well, you, you sort of sit back, reflect. You pop open a really ice cold can of Coke Zero, and you think and you ponder about what's happening. And then you get a grip. Then 
you let that moment give way to faith. Now, let me say something important here. It's not your faith uh, or faith itself that makes this life temporal and fragile. Uh, It's not somehow that following Christ makes everything else fragile. It's already fragile for all of us. We're fragile. All races in all places. What faith does is it grounds you. Hebrews 12 said to us that we have an unshakable reality. Even in a shakable world, we have an unshakable reality in us. And we said that if you can... If it breaks when you shake it, it's not ultimate. And so nothing here is. Our jobs aren't, money isn't, even our health isn't. And faith quickly sees through the illusion, gives hope, settles you. This is a real hope, Hebrew said, that we're given. And we're given it because of Jesus Christ. Uh, Mark Oden had this comment in something that I read by him this week. He said, the story of the Bible is the story of a God who entered the world infected with a sin virus, lived among sick people, not wearing any chemical protective suit, breathing the same air as we do, eating the same food as we do, and he died in isolation, excluded from his people and from his own father on a cross. All that he might provide a sin-sick world with an anecdote, with an antidote to cure the virus, to heal us and give us eternal life. And because we have that, we're unshakable. That's what it means. We have an unshakable life even in an uncertain world. I've been memorizing 1 Peter chapter 5, and I've, my favorite section is verses 7 through 11. Memorizing it in the New King James Version. Uh, and, I, and, I, and I like it. And you'll be familiar with some of it, but some of the connections might sort of really be new to you. First uh, Peter 7, or 5, 7, I know you know. Casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. And so if one of the first things you do is in humbling yourself, is what the, the, the context says, is you cast all your care upon him. That's the first thing you have to do. And once you've unloaded the the internal concerns, then look what he says, what Hebrews has been told, be sober and be vigilant. And then he says, you have an adversary, the devil, roaring lion seeking to devour you. And so once you've cast your cares upon him, now it's time to be vigilant, face other battles. And you can't do it until you've given God the concerns of your life. Once you do that, Then you get ready for the battle. You can be ready for the battle that's before us. But I like this verse. Resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. This was one of my favorite lines in this this little text. I had a phone conversation, about an hour-long phone conversation with Kirk Nowry, who's in India right now. And they're facing complications as well. And um, he was saying to me, you know, we have 
you know, it's funny because in America we're, we're, we're addressing these things and they're kind of unique to us. But, you know, in places like India where Kirk is, they wake up every day with disease and, and poverty. And that pain and lack are everywhere you look. And if you think it's one thing to have to manage the kinds of things we're managing here with the resources that we have, Imagine what it's like to manage them there. And so Kirk was just one of those voices in my head of this text. Remember, there's a lot of our brothers and sisters around the world experiencing what we are and far worse. And that reminds us to have hope. And you know what they're doing? Look what it says. Uh, They're enduring. Knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. And then he writes, but may the God of all grace who called us to eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, look at this, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. And then we're reminded, to him be the glory and the power, dominion forever and ever. Amen. So we've got brothers and sisters enduring, and that's encouragement for us to endure difficult times. So... We're going to lose some things, for sure. But we don't have to lose our faith in this. So cast your cares upon him. Be ready for the battle. Remember others are doing it and enduring. And then know that when it's all over, there's a God who's powerful and is capable of restoring. Now, that's our faith. That's what you do with your faith in difficult times. As the community, which Hebrews said is as critical as faith, we're to be mindful of others. And I just want to give you two ways to do that during this time. The first one is sacrifice. There will be sacrifices to make. We will likely be called upon to care for and to give to others who are needy. Remember what Hebrews taught us in the beginning of chapter 13. Let brotherly love continue. In other words, don't let it stop. It can't stop under any circumstances. So what does that mean? It means be hospitable to strangers, uh, to shut-ins, to the needy. Watch your attachment to money. Watch what your heart does in these times as it relates to money. 13, 5, and 6 were very clear. Remember what he said? Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with what you have. Remember what God said, I'll never leave you. And then verse 6, Lord is my helper, I will not fear, what can man do to me? And those verses are as relevant as, as any right now, because there's some panic in this regard. Um, some of us are going to be impacted financially more than others. And we need to be ready to help come alongside one another. Um, Because we have a God who cares for us. We're casting our cares on him. He cares for us. And so he tells us in this text, do not be afraid. We actually have security. Security that money cannot buy. And so let me just say right now that we are here as a church to assist those of you in these circumstances. We have a small food pantry that can... Uh, primarily made up of 
food for kids, but we have some in there, and if it's needed, it's available. We also have other resources, financial resources, if you need them. You'll hear more about that in a moment. Keep a pulse on each other. If you've got some elderly people in your group or in your family or in your uh, uh, people that you know, reach out to them. You might be able to run errands for them, Uh, things like that. We will have a number for you to contact, to call. You can call the office that gets directed to someone specific to handle it. And we also will have an email for you at the end of this message for you to look at and make sure that you can reach out if there's any way that we can help or if you're in need. Listen, we were made for times like these. That's what Hebrews 13 was saying. Because we are not attached to things in this world, we're available to care for people. So with a God like ours, a Savior like ours, a hope like ours, we're better equipped to handle crisis. Better equipped to take risks. Less concerned about loss. All losses. Even the loss of our lives was the message of Hebrews. I was reading yesterday in a book called, Rod, uh, by, called Rise of Christianity, The Rise of Christianity by Rodney Stark. And here's the subtitle to it. It's kind of long, but think about this. How the obscure, marginal Jesus movement became the dominant religious force in the Western world in a few centuries. There's a chapter in there that's really great called Epidemics, Networks, and Conversion. He talks about the Greco-Roman Empire during the first through probably the third centuries when plagues would blow through there and literally devastate a third of the population. It it just devastated. And one of the uh, historians he quotes actually says this about those. He says, uh, the Roman power and world organization would be interrupted, could only be interrupted by, by a force against which political genius, military valor were utterly helpless. And it was epidemic disease. And when it came, as though it were carried by storms, And clouds, all other things gave way. Men crouched in terror, abandoning all their quarrels, undertakings, and ambitions until the tempest blew over. And the church fathers, he says, believed that epidemics contributed to the rise of Christianity. Because society, if it had not been disrupted and demoralized by the catastrophes, Christianity would never have survived. Christians took over where society uh, couldn't handle it, uh, offered hope. And when pagans lost everything, they turned to Christianity. Christians survived because they cared for each other. And so they actually outlived the pagans who had no one to care for them. So you had more Christians in your network. Fascinating thing. One of the eyewitnesses in that time says this, and I want to read it to you. I want you to hear this and take it in. I think it's relevant. The doctors were quite incapable of treating the disease. People, because they were afraid to visit anyone. Uh, uh, As a result, thousands of people died with no one to look after them. Indeed, there were many houses in which all the inhabitants perished through lack of any attention. 
The bodies of the dying were heaped one on top of the other and half-dead creatures could be seen staggering about in the streets. The catastrophe was so overwhelming that people became indifferent to every rule of morality. Many pushed sufferers away, even their own dearest, often throwing them into the roads before they were dead, hoping to avert contagion. But he says the Christians showed unbounding love and loyalty never sparing themselves and thinking only of one another. Heedless of danger, they took charge of the sick, attended to every need, and ministered in the name of Christ. And many departed this life serenely happy, for they were infected by their neighbors, and they cheerfully accepted their pains, and they lost their lives in this manner. It's a profound concern. So the consequences of all this, Stark writes at the end, were that pagan survivors faced increased odds of conversion after they recovered because because of their greatly increased attachments to Christians. When nobody cared for them, Christians were there. Christians cared for each other. And by the time it was done, by the time you get to the third century, you got Christianity takes over the entire empire. And this is the reason they cared for each other at risk to themselves. That's what Christianity is. We're, we're made for these kinds of crises because we're not attached to anything, not even our own lives. It's a profound truth. I'll give you one thing. So you got um, sacrifice that we make for one another. But the second thing and the last thing I want to address with you real quickly is just to pray. Um, This is a big problem. It's got implications that are global. And you might think to yourself, I don't know what I can do. Here I am stuck in my home. And of course, we're going to be able to have opportunities to care for each other. But, uh, and we've got to keep our faith. We've got to keep our faith and care for others. Those are the two things we've got to do, no matter what else we're doing. And then this final thing I wanted to say is, is pray. Actually pray, not talk about prayer, not say you can pray, but literally pray for leaders. Pray for the key players around the world, putting their best energies to solve this. Medical teams, those who are infected, those who are fearful, those who are vulnerable. And ask God for mercy and and healing and opportunity. I mean, can you think of anything that could more demonstrate our need? Because it doesn't matter where you live, doesn't matter what your race is, doesn't matter how much money you have. We're all fragile. We're all vulnerable. And at the end of the day, we all realize we can lose it all in a moment. Where do you turn when you realize that? The world's going to be asking that question. And I'm going to tell you, paganism, secularism doesn't have the answers. We have it. It's a wonderful reality and opportunity. Listen, those of us who've been promised a future where there will be no more tears, no death, uh, no more pain, no mourning, can offer hope and help without reservation. So, 
keep those things in mind and let's, uh, let's go ahead and bow in prayer now. Let me lead us in a word of prayer before Dave comes and gives you some information that you need. Uh, Father, drive this, these truths home to our heart. Let it finally, for once, take over and dominate us. What does it feel like when all's lost and we have nothing else but our faith and we can still find joy and peace and fulfillment? Where ultimately, we are safe only in you. And so there's nothing ultimately to lose. We are all yours, Father. We pray for our brothers and sisters all around the world in far worse circumstances than we find ourselves. God, care for them, please. Our cities, local communities, global, God, right now, draw people to yourself in a way only you can. And please use us any way to accomplish that mission. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.